Well, if you would, turn to Psalm 97. And you should have a set of notes. Did everyone get a set? They cost after today, so. <laughs> no, this is great. We have two more psalms that we'll be looking at in August. And then we're going to take, it's about a three-week break because of Labor Day and all of that. And that's where we'll, we'll give you details on the life of Moses. <clears throat> well, we've already talked about this, but uh, I don't know about you. I jokingly told my wife, it wasn't really a joke, I shouldn't have said it. The other night, I said, well, let me look at the news and see what has happened today. Sure enough, we had the coup in Turkey. And it just seems as, as every time you turn on the news, you know, there's something happening, whether it's in the French Riviera, whether it's a Turkish coup, or it's more policemen whose lives are being taken. And I don't, it's interesting, as you look at the newspapers, you watch the news, uh, you know, chaos, why fear. <laughs> we're, we're plagued with it right now. And Psalm 97 couldn't be a more appropriate psalm for us to look at. I mentioned in your notes, there and under the overview of this psalm, it is it is belongs to a group of hymns in the Psalter, which are called enthronement psalms, or, or sometimes referred to as royal psalms. You see this there in your notes. They belong to this group because they're focused on God as king and God as often is directly linked with the creator and he is in charge. And in the, as I mentioned there, consequently Yahweh's reign possesses both national and cosmic dimensions. Many scholars argue that the enthronement songs were written out of a particular event in history, in Israel's history. However, it's vague intentionally so that it can be applied to people down through generations uh, and not just to the Israelites. And that's what I want you to see. In fact, there's three characteristics which are also seen in Psalm 97. I want to give these to you. The first of these is a, is a kingship that is righteous. Uh, turn to Psalm 99. Uh, it too is an enthronement psalm. And, and again... These characteristics are very are vital, and we're going to see why in our study of Psalm 97. But Psalm 99, verses 3 through 5, Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is strong. He loves justice. Uh, you ensure the, the legal decisions will be made fairly. Uh, yay. <laughs> right? Uh, yay. Yay. Um, in another lifetime, it seems, uh, there was a legal battle that uh, we were embroiled in. And our lawyer said, don't expect justice in the courts. You won't get it. Uh, there's only one court in the land, and that's God's court. It's true justice. Some of you are shaking your heads. You know what I mean. And, and so the, the issue of, of, of righteousness or of justice uh, is seen uh, with this kingship. A second is that it not only is it righteous, but it's also universal. Turn to Psalm 96, another royal psalm, or enthronement psalm. And here, in verses 6 and 7, the psalmist declares, Majestic splendor emanates from him. His sanctuary is firmly established. That God is the creator is, is vital, both to the Old and the New Testament. When I think about... Uh, 
uh, oh, Colossians 1, right? This whole uh, depiction of Christ. He's head of the created order. He's head of the, the new created order, that is the church. But being that he is the creator is extremely significant. And we'll see why as we go through Psalm 97. And the final aspect that's key with these enthronement psalms is that his kingship is eternal. This isn't just temporary. It's not linked to the identity of Israel. In fact, it supersedes that. And Psalm 96, again, look at verse uh, 10, for instance. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. He judges not just Israel, but everybody. And you can see where this is headed, right? As we, as we uh, dive into this text in light of what's been happening, uh, whether <laughs> Turkey staged their own coup, as the news is now saying possibility, uh, it doesn't really matter. God's in charge. Right? Um, look at Psalm 97. Let's read it. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be happy. I'm reading from the Net Bible again, the New English translation, but uh, if you have the not-so-inspired NIV or whatever, feel free. <laughs> I'm just rasping. It's a good translation. Uh, let the many coastlands rejoice. Uh, dark clouds uh, surround him. Equity and justice, there it is, are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him on every side. It burns up his enemies. His lightning bolts light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the sovereign master of the whole earth. It's interesting to me that is not seen in our world today, but there will be a day. <laughs> the sky declares his justice and all the nations are his splendor. All who worship idols are ashamed. Those who boast about worthless idols, all the gods bow down before him. Zion hears and rejoices. The towns of Judah are happy because of your judgments, O God. For you, O Lord, are the sovereign king over the whole earth. You are elevated high above all gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. He protects the lives of the faithful followers. He delivers them from the power of the wicked. The godly bask in the light. The morally upright, they experience joy. You godly ones rejoice in the Lord. Give thanks to his name. Let's dissect this sucker, uh, this psalm. And we start with verse 1, which is a declaration, God reigns. <laughs> he is in charge. All right. Uh, as I mentioned there in your notes, the reign... His reign warrants and calls for those who live near, those that are on the earth, and those who live far. That's the coastlands. So, in other words, everybody, you need to come before the throne and worship this God, this King of Kings, uh, Yahweh, a name given to the Lord in the Old Testament. He is the Almighty One. He is the one we worship. And then the, David, the psalmist, is going to say, let me tell you why that's the case. Uh, why you need to, to worship and, and, and why his reign is so significant and it's linked as we just talked about it's linked to the created order that's verses 2 through uh, particularly 2 through 6 <clears throat> notice what he looks to as he observes God as the creator. The first of these, as he mentions, is the dark clouds. You see this in verse 2? Dark clouds surround him. 
Sounds like doom and gloom, <laughs> right? What in the world? Uh, but if you look there in your notes, usually it refers to awesome judgment. Uh, you know, on a stormy day, you see those dark clouds rolling in. It's just awesome to watch. Right? Something is happening. And I've given you several texts. This is not the first time in the Hebrew Scriptures, nor will it be the last. The dark clouds are seen as very awesome and powerful and overwhelming. And he says, dark clouds surround him. And in fact, not only are they surrounding him, but it's built on a foundation that is right. It's just. Uh, notice there in your notes, one commentator states, righteous judgment is equated with the foundation of a throne, meaning that the basis of his rule is righteous judgment. His administration will be just in all its decisions. He won't be... Uh, there's no lobbyist that's going to win his favor, <laughs> right? There's no bribe that he's going to take. There's no meeting with someone over the phone while they're flying on Air Force One. Uh, nothing is going to taint his perspective, right? He's not indebted to anybody. <laughs> you're, you're not going to sway this fellow. And in fact, he's going to deal with injustice. That's the whole context of the dark clouds, right? No, what's the next thing you see from created order? You see dark clouds. What's the next verse start off with? Fire. And this isn't, uh, you know, purify my heart. <laughs> this isn't, you know, this isn't refiner's fire. This is burn, baby, burn, right? That it's 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 in the context of God's wrath. Look at the, look at this. Uh, Psalm 21, Hebrews 12, Revelation 20. I mean, it's throughout the canon that fire, when it's associated with justice for God, it, I mean, we're going to scorch the land. Uh, that's the whole context here. On every side, it burns up his enemies. When we were in Jerusalem a couple weeks ago, uh, we were at the, the temple model, and all the smoke in the distance was coming, and sirens were going off, and... Tell me when my group said, oh, it's a bomb. I said, no, it's not a bomb. You're fine. Um, uh, it was a forest fire. Uh, it's dry in the land. But, yeah, I mean, it just scorches that whole area. And, I, I, you know, you think about this text, this fire going forth. No one is uh, going to be able to stand. They're going to take him out. Every side, it burns up his enemies. Notice verse 4. He moves to lightning. Uh, he, in fact, he's going to appeal to two things here, which is intriguing to me. The first of these, uh, certainly in this context in the ancient world, it was seen as that which is extremely frightening. My uh, great-grandfather was killed by lightning. So I remember my grandfather was always nervous when there was a storm because he was a teenage boy out on the field with my great-grandfather when he was killed. And uh, lightning to him was always... Uh, very alarming. And it would have been in the ancient world. In fact, Baal, you remember Baal? Baal, we sometimes refer to, uh, the god, one of the gods that the ancient world worshipped. He was the god of lightning. You often see him with a lightning <coughs> bolt in his hand, these statues. Uh, and so, it's that which is greatly feared. And it's interesting, by the way, that David is appealing to various Places where gods were worshipped, gods were associated with lightning 
gods were associated with the dark clouds. <laughs> and he's saying, no, this god, they're all at his fingertips. He's above those. And lightning is one. And, and where do they often worship the gods? In the high places, the mountains, seen as a place of protection, stability, but not before Yahweh. Notice what the text says? The mountains melt like wax. Nothing stands in his way, right? As you look at this. So the mountains, an element of stability and strength, nothing before the Lord, he says. And then, he says, if that's not all, the sky is at his beck and call as well for Yahweh. Right? Think of Psalm 19. What does Psalm 19 state? What do the heavens declare? The glory of God. Glory is, it's really the Hebrew word kabod, heaviness, awesome. Everything is awesome. Right? You get the idea. That's the whole idea, right? The skies declare his justice, and, and, and here it says all the nations see his splendor, which is the same word. It's, it's glory. It's interesting. Uh, um, Romans 1 talks about creation, and creation also reveals God's wrath. Uh, worked with a, a lady who has a doctorate in genetic engineering. She was an atheist until she was working on her doctorate. She was looking under a microscope, and she said, no, there's something far beyond all this. <laughs> you, you can't explain this by chance. There is an awesome God who is the creator. Well, eventually she uh, came to know Christ. But she said, I, I look at this. No, this, this is too awesome. <clears throat> but it's interesting that creation also reveals his wrath. And this is why I would argue, I don't care where you live on this globe. You will be held accountable because God has revealed himself in creation. Right? That's what the text tells us, Romans 1. In fact, interesting, in Romans 1, God has revealed himself in creation, but what does humanity do in, in Romans 1? Remember the text? They create gods. And that's, that's what we're going to see here in the context as we look at verses 7 and 8. We'll get to here in a second. And, and it's interesting, as you, you look at this, this created order in verses 2 through 6, what the psalmist is stating is it honors God as creator, the almighty, the all-powerful one. And yet when we get to the next three verses, it's the creation who is making their own gods who they then worship. It's turned the world upside down, right? That's the crazy part of all of this. Verse 7, all who worship idols, you could translate this, will be ashamed or that they are ashamed. It's an interesting Hebrew term. It's used of Adam and Eve before the fall. It says that they were naked and they were not ashamed. Right? But here, humanity will be because they're involved in sin and they've not worshipped the Creator. And those who boast about worthless idols, all the gods either this will will be or all the gods are to it's, it's either a command or it's seen as more of a statement of fact bow down before him eventually every knee will bow right under heaven or under earth because god is the great creator comments or questions on this this is huge yeah kyle well it's not really this particular but you know when you talk about justice and of course you talk about god's wrath and it's character qualities and whatnot and, and these people are you know, we, we think we have the benefit of hindsight understanding, if you will, 
And yet they were waiting for uh, Jesus this penalty, this payment for our sin. And yet they understood to some extent justice and the fact that God is justice. That that's a just phenomenon to me that they talk about those things and they have no knowledge really, maybe maybe they have no knowledge we have any clue of but well, and, and, and the Mosaic Law only further demonstrates that we are an unrighteous lot. <laughs> you know, read the book of Leviticus. Right? Well, don't do it when you're tired. But the, the book of Leviticus, right? Uh, it has much to say about a holy God versus who we are and the injustice that, that has been created by humanity. Um, as you look at this, the elements of creation that are listed here, what does it tell us about God? I mean, some of it's pretty obvious. But what does it, what is the psalmist telling us based on the text? What are the assumptions we can make? Help me out. Mitch, help me out. What is one thing you see in the text? <laughs> What do these elements, um, the fire, the lightning, what do they what do they tell us about the Lord? What can we assume? He's in control. He's all powerful. What else? Transcendent. Transcendent. Good. Righteous. Just. He's just. Nothing, I wrote, nothing will stand in his way, but no one is exempt. Right? Now, again, put yourself in 2016. <laughs> uh, take comfort in knowing our God is the great creator. When this world seems to be turned upside down and you see things happen that, that do not make sense, a political climate that's just crazy, um, social upheaval, moral decay. It is a comfort to know, no, nothing's taken this guy by surprise. It's all in his hand. He is in charge. He is the great creator. And he is just. He will deal with this in his time. Well, let's go back to the song. He lays out again, we see in the second <laughs> section, as we've just seen, that indeed the appearance of the Lord, he is the creator. And those who created their own gods, which is most ironic, <laughs> the creature creating their own gods, uh, he's going to deal with them as well. So then he says to the righteous ones, in light of all of this, hey, you need to rejoice, right? The towns of Judah, they need to be happy because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are the sovereign king that is the most high over all the earth. He just stated that in verse 5. Right? The mountains melt because he's the sovereign master of the whole earth. You were elevated high above all the gods. That's verse 7. He's echoing it again. He wants you to see this. This assurance uh, of... Uh, uh, we, well... <clears throat> why, why should we rejoice in the light of this? Let me give you here at the end here at this section. Uh, this is not in your notes. This is free today. So if you want to write it in, you can. But... Um, this is what happens when you have a lot of time to compare. I'm rewriting the lesson. Uh, my wife was on the phone uh, with an issue, and I said, okay, I I'm going to go back to the notes. And I was thinking through this. Why should they rejoice? Why should the righteous rejoice? Well, you look at what's just happened. Our God will address the evil and wrongdoings of the world. Right? 
He states that. Because your judgments, O oh Lord, you're going to deal with this crud. Right? To, the, to a spouse who, who has no regard for the marriage vows and leaves you in the dust, to <coughs> leaders who have no consideration for the, what God, is, God has placed them, the list goes on and on. God's going to deal with it. Unless there's repentance on their part. God is going to deal with it. Secondly, our God will vindicate. Uh, I think I've mentioned this. We have some neighbors who are Coptic Christians. And I don't know if you saw in the news yesterday, some Coptic Christians. One was killed in Egypt. Uh, and they, an elderly lady, they stripped her and ran her naked through the streets. Uh, how awful. Uh, the Lord will vindicate. He's on the throne, and he's watching. Third, our God is ultimately in control over the affairs of the entire world. Nothing passes by him. You see that in the text? He is sovereign king over the whole earth. <coughs> I don't care where you live, whether it's Turkey, Tunisia, or Tallahassee. <laughs> the Lord's watching. He's observing. And here's another. Our God cannot be overthrown. That's the great news. There's no coup that's going to take him out. He is the sovereign one. No sniper is going to take him out. He is the sovereign one. No election will remove him. He is the sovereign one. Right? He's in charge. And how about you? But uh, that, is, that brings great comfort. <laughs> when... This world just seems to be for a free fall. God is in charge. The humiliation will ultimately be those who have created their own gods. And in a poetic way, the psalmist is saying, even the gods will be humiliated. They'll be put to shame as they have to bow down before. I think of... Um, Elijah, again, we mentioned this before, but Elijah's encounter with the prophets of Baal. Is, is your God sleeping? <laughs> Maybe you need to shout a little louder. Or Dagon, who, who falls at the front of the Ark of the Covenant, right? God of the Philistines. <clears throat> Our God is in charge, and this is why we rejoice. Well, <clears throat> he's called us to rejoice. Did you get that written down? He then moves to the assurance that we have as righteous ones. Those who, who seek the Lord, verses 10 through 12, he says, Listen, you who hate evil, be faithful, right? Bask in the light and experience the joy that comes from serving Him. As I mentioned there in your notes, the lovers of Yahweh, this is verse 10, are the people of pure devotion and genuine obedience. These lovers of God despise evil and seek to obey Him. That's John 14. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And we don't know the circumstances surrounding this song, but they couldn't be much different than 2016. Don't lose sight of God. He's in charge. Right? Don't, don't let what's happening around you waver in your faith. Our God is on the throne. He is the creator. The issue of light that he uses there, I think of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. <laughs> uh, 
it's a dark place we live in. I didn't need to tell you that. Thanks, Hoffman. I woke up at six to be here at seven. Are you telling me that? I already know that. But that light accompanies joy. And these final words include the entire song. Give thanks, the last phrase of the song, to his holy name. Holiness speaks to his uniqueness, his character. The circumstances for David, they haven't changed in these 12 verses. <laughs> He's still facing whatever that issue is, but he now can give thanks and rejoice because God is on the throne, a reminder of it. At the bottom of your notes, I, I, I just said, hey, how would you contrast the righteous versus the idolaters in this song? Just quickly, what do you see distinguishes the two groups? Between the righteous and the idolaters. What do you see? Light and darkness. Light and darkness, right? He doesn't mention that they're in <laughs> darkness, but the dark clouds are encompassing them. But we stand in the light. Good. What else? Rejoicing versus shame. Good. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, the guilt, the shame that comes... Here we can stand before the Lord. Do you get that? You have to cower. And in so doing, you can be joyful. Good. Good point. What else? Yeah. Lovers of evil versus things. Yeah. Lovers of evil versus those who are lovers of God. I had one was one group, the righteous worship the creator, the idolater worships the creation. Right? Anything else? These are good. One lives in fear, the other is in peace. And hope. That's right, and hope. Ah, because interesting with the enthronement Psalms, almost always there's a focus on the eternal. This kingship isn't just for the here and now. And that's why rooting it in creation and not with Israel per se, is that this far exceeds anything that who Israel is. It's all nations for all eternity. And we know the rest of the story because we have the book of Revelation. So no, I don't care what your eschatological view is. There's a day coming, right? When, when the King of Kings, the Lord, the Prince of Peace is going to reign and this world is done with. Well, <clears throat> any others? I don't want to cut it short on that. Maybe eternal security versus judgment. Yeah, good. Yeah, the... the um, that, that shame comes with the, 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 the prospect of, I'm going to be dealt with for what I've done. For the righteous, there's an eternal abode with God. There's that hope that comes. Yes. Being preserved versus being burned up. Good. Oh, these are great. I'm right. Yeah, I, I didn't get that one. I like that one. Well, anything else? Reserve versus destruction. You get the idea, right? It, it, it leaves us with two applications. Let me give you these. The first of these, it's there in your notes. His awesomeness, his his kabod, his glory, this this great creator. You realize his awesomeness is matched by his incredible love for us. Don't miss that. And everything he does, it's awesome. I have a couple theologian friends who, who don't like the word awesome to be used apart from God. And I understand what they're saying. Uh, because they're just saying, 
everything God is is awesome and his love is awesome. Turn to Ephesians. It's a familiar text, but it's worthy of reading. In fact, if you're struggling spiritually, I would I would encourage you to commit Ephesians 1 to memory. It is such a powerful text. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Watch the role of the Trinity in here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, not some, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. Interesting, he mentions heavenly realms because uh, this letter is written to the church at Ephesus, and they were the the city was the patron for uh, Artemis, the goddess of the heavenly realms. <laughs> he said, "No, no, 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 no. You, you're idolaters who worship Artemis. This is nothing to our Yahweh, who's the creator of the universe, the found." For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before he placed the mountains, before he created lightning and fire, he already thought of you. And he did it, notice this, that we might be holy and unblemished in the sight and love. He did this by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. You're not servants. You're in the household. According to the pleasure of his will. And he'll repeat that phrase uh, again in verse 9. To the praise of the glory of his grace that he has freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved son. In him, now we go to Christ, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of his grace that he lavished. You get this? On us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when he revealed to us the secret of his will according to his good pleasure toward the administration of the fullness of time and to head up all things in Christ, the things in heaven, the things on earth. Why? He's the great creator. This is all his. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possessions. And if that is not sufficient, it says in verse 13, he has sealed us with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And it concludes this section to the praise of his glory. Verse 14. Isn't that a great text? I mean, you're struggling, put that on your beak. Hang that on there for a while. And reflect on those verses. Who God is, is... We've been brought into that equation. Right? The great creator has, has brought us in to this intimacy that he has with the Son and with the, the Holy Spirit. 24-7 access, according to the book of Hebrews. No wonder when Paul writes the book of Romans and he spends the first 11 chapters dealing with what it means to be declared righteous, all that God has done for us, he breaks out in a doxology, a hymn of praise at the end of chapter 11. Who is known? Who could know the mind of the Lord? And, and it's atypical to have a doxology in the middle of a letter. And remember, we've got several chapters yet to go, but he can't contain himself. There's this yellow puddle by his chair as he's writing the the book, I know it has to be, and he's like, oh, this is, this is great stuff. <clears throat> this God of the universe, this awesome one, hey, that's the same level on which he's bestowed love on me. You say, oh, I'll hop in a deal, know my story. I've kind of blown it as a dad, as a husband, as a follower of Christ. Well, haven't we all, one level or another? That's what grace is about. That's what forgiveness is about. That's what uh, Peter can testify, right, in John 21. God restored him and used him. As far as the east is from the west, he remembers it no more. 
Well, I know that Hoffa did, but I, I just struggle. I love R.C. Sproul, and he had a, a lady come up to him and said, I, I asked God to forgive me, and I, I keep going back to this because I just don't feel forgiven. He said, well, you just need to ask God one more time for forgiveness. He goes, only one more? He goes, yep. You need to ask forgiveness for not taking God at his word because <laughs> he's forgiven you. And that's the beauty of it, isn't it? What love. The creator of the universe, he longs for the relationship with his creation. Um, I'm going to tread on a little thin ice, but uh, that's the problem with Islam. It's why we're in a... This is a theological issue. <laughs> You've got a religion that God has created people, according to Islam, and, and they have to earn his favor. That's vastly different from Christianity. Right? He, he loved us when we didn't even love him. And he longs for intimacy. And there's unity in the, the triad that we are being brought into. That's vastly different than this over here. It's a different mindset altogether. He is, his awesomeness is matched by his incredible love for us. Here's a second thing for us this morning. His sovereignty eliminates fears of today and concerns for the future. That's Romans That's Romans 8. Turn to Romans 8. The text I just kind of alluded to, but uh, Romans 8. Listen. Verse 37, 8.37. No, and all these things we have complete victory through him who loved us. How can we have victory? Because he's the great creator. He's the king of kings. No mountain can stand before him. And in fact, the elements of this universe, that which creates, instills great fear in humanity, such as storms and lightning, they're at his beck and call. The sky, ah, it's his canvas. Right? For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor terrorists, no political entity, <laughs> nor cancer, nor loss of job, nor anything else, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Why? He's the creator. This is just his, this is just his playing field. All right, this is his playing ground. It's all at his beck and call, and we are his. The Puritan Thomas Brooks, uh, the quote there in your notes, God hath in himself all power to defend you, all wisdom to direct you, all mercy to pardon you, all grace to enrich you, all righteousness to clothe you, all goodness to supply you, and all happiness to crown you. Isn't that a great quote? That's our God. That's our God. And so, you know what? Uh, you look at all these things that are happening. Eh, our God reigns. The questions of why, the questions of fear for the believer. Hey, we're not ashamed. <clears throat> we're not under the judgment. God will vindicate. Eh? Who shall we fear? What's going to rock our world? Nothing. Why? Because the creator of this world sits on a throne, and he's our God, right? Should we sing? Can we do We did this a couple weeks ago, and it was so good. Can we sing just the first verse and chorus of How Great Thou Art? Ron, we've got some singers, Ron and uh, Kyle, so uh, we'll lean heavily on you guys. 
can you start us off and we'll just sing uh, the, the verse and the chorus to this uh, great hymn? Lord our God, when I awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. David said it, you godly ones, rejoice in the Lord, give thanks to his holy name. Father, we're so grateful that indeed you are on the throne. You, the God of this universe, you place the stars, you set the mountains in position. You control the elements, the fire, the wind, the rain, the storms. It's all at your beck and call. And Father, we're so grateful that in your awesomeness, there's also a righteous, loving God. You're not some man who's wound the clock and watched and wringing your hands wondering what's going to happen. You're not some dictator that sits up above waiting for us to mess up to, to hit us over with the head with the two by four. But you're an awesome God who's full of love and grace and mercy and justice. And you are our God. And so, Father, we just thank you. And, Lord, I must confess that as I turn on the news and I watch policemen being slain, men and women who have given their lives to instill order in our country, uh, Gary, Lord, uh, Lord, our hearts are heavy. So we watch uh, bombs going off at airports to a guy taking up a and trying to kill people on a train in Germany. The issues go on. We are so grateful that the chaos here doesn't take you by surprise. You're in charge. And Lord, forgive me for not being vocal about the hope, the peace, the joy we have. We just looked at it in the psalm. It's what the righteous have, and that's what we should have as we cling to you and walk in obedience. Be with these men today as they go about their daily activities, many going to work. Guide them. Be with us this week, Lord, that we would honor you. And we just thank you for indeed you are our great God. And we'll thank you and praise you in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.